Our reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 37 to 42. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what will bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Lord, we bless your coming and thank, for, thank you for your soon coming return. James, and uh, hey, hey everybody on this uh, balmy, palmy Sunday, right? Uh, and I want to welcome you here, all of you are worshiping here in person. And uh, if you're worshiping in, online, I imagine you surrounded by palm trees. Yeah, I hope you are. Uh, you know, we only have four evening worship services every year normally, and two of them are this week, uh, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, uh, and they both start at 7 o'clock right in here. On Thursday, we'll also be um, serving a, a light supper from 6 to 7, so come when you can in Fellowship Hall. Um, our middle and high school students will be serving and cleaning up, and so you want to drop a little in for free will offering for scholarships for their mission trips uh, they are working hard to, to do that make that happen today is also the last Sunday of Lent and uh, all through Lent we've been praying this five sentence prayer this Sabbath blessing from Pete Gregg so let's pray it one more time now shall we let's pray may this day bring Sabbath rest to my heart and my home. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God be restoried. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May I know the grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into the week and into the life to come. Amen. Sometimes victory can bring sadness. Sometimes victory can bring sadness. That was the case for basketball great, the late Kobe Bryant, uh, when he won his first NBA title in 2001, there's a picture of him just clinging and holding on to that trophy as he wept. He was not weeping for joy. You see, his parents were not at the game to share that moment with him. He had been estranged from them for a few years. And so now in his, in his greatest moment of victory... He keenly felt that loss, and he wept. 
I enjoy going to a Husker football game. Trish and I go every year or two. Uh, we enjoy the festivity. You know, we, we like to arrive early and hear the band. You know it's going to be good. In the stadium, you know, we join with one side and the other, Husker, power. But I know I've mentioned a couple of times before that, when I'm, that, that there's also a wave of sadness that sometimes come over, comes over me when I've attended a game. And it's not because the Huskers were probably going to lose, <laughs> although that may have been the case. It's because I wonder how many of these 90,000 people have nothing bigger to live for than this. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Today's message is the first of a four-part Holy Week and Easter series called Fix Our Eyes on Jesus. And our theme verse comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And, and here the writer describes how walking with Christ is, is like a long, lifelong race. So let's say these words together we'll put up on the screen. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I want you to imagine that Jesus is at the finish line. Jesus is at the finish line with a big smile on his face and his arms are wide open. And, and uh, so we run the race fixing our eyes on him. You know, all during Holy Week and Easter this year, you're going to see this image projected over the cross. That's because I want you to, to begin to see more than the cross. I want you to begin to see the cross as a reminder of the presence of Jesus. The arms of the cross are his arms. The vertical beam is his body and head and the rest of him. And, and the cross is meant to remind us that Jesus is here. He's standing before us. He's with us, welcoming us, embracing us. You know, a lot of times when, when we're here singing, like in some of these songs today, uh, I like to look up to the cross. And, and, I, and I try to look beyond the, just the intersecting pieces of wood, and, and I picture Jesus. And, and I hope that you will try that too and start doing that, uh, to look to the cross and see more than the cross. See Jesus standing there, arms open, defending us, pouring grace upon us, receiving us, reigning over us. So grab a Bible, if you will. Let's look up uh, Luke chapter 19. Uh, all of you here in the worship center and all of you at home, I hope you'll be able to grab a Bible too and follow along. Now, each of the four Gospels tell what we call uh, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's our Palm Sunday scripture. Interestingly, though, Luke is the only one that doesn't mention anybody cutting branches. And, and laying them down or waving them as part of the celebration. He leaves that out. He's got other things he wants to include. In verse 37, by this point, Jesus is already riding the donkey, 
The people have already laid down a carpet of coats for him to, to ride on. The Mount of Olives is just to the east of the city. And so when he comes down the slope, he can see the city below. So let's start with verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to, to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. I mean, this is a royal processional, or at least the people hope it will be. I mean, it's like they're saying, okay, Jesus, you've done so many miraculous things. Let's make him king. Interestingly, though, of the four gospel writers, only Luke does not include people shouting the word Hosanna. Isn't that something? Matthew, Mark, and John all do. Now, the word Hosanna means uh, literally save us, save us now. But by Jesus' time, people started using it differently, so it kind of had a praise the Lord feel. And so it kind of means both. Praise the Lord and save us now. And the Hebrew word Hosanna uh, is found in the, in the Passover processional, Psalm 118, at which point now, for Jesus, they're quoting it in almost as like a coronation song. And what the people shout in the, in the next verse, uh, verse 38 in Luke 19, is from that same psalm. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And you can just hear the people chanting it and shouting it over and over. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So, I mean, this is like a political rally and a spiritual revival all in one. And what the people shout next may sound partly familiar uh, if you remember the angels announcing Jesus' birth. Uh, here the people shout, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. In verse 39, the Pharisees, are, they're, they're so upset, they're so mad, and they, they demand that Jesus rebuke his disciples. Tell them to stop all this cheering about you being a king. But, Jesus is a king. He, at least he's bringing God's new kingdom. And this is a moment Jesus knows for shouting and praising and blessing, and nobody's going to stop it. You know, one of the things about Jesus, as you, as you learn and read him and study him more, is that sometimes he could be a master of hyperbole. That's exaggerating to make a point. And this is one of those times in verse 40. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Of course, I would have loved to have seen that. But maybe Jesus is implying that the Pharisees' hearts were harder than stone. And then we come to verse 41, which is the focus for today. And, by the way, which only Luke tells us. As he approached Jerusalem... And saw the city, he wept over it. I'm thinking, you know, if that were any of us, you know, riding that donkey, people cheering and shouting, and we might have been, you know, soaking up the glory, basking in the praise. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, what do we see? He's weeping, but not for himself. Though he knows they will crucify him, 
his heart breaks for them. Now, obviously, none of us can fully fathom God. We're, we don't, our human, we're too limited to fully fathom God. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, God is made known to us. The Bible says the fullness of God dwelt in him. So when we see Jesus' heart break, we know the Father's heart is also breaking. You know, a number of times Jesus spoke uh, about the future destruction of, of the temple. And, uh, and it happened about 40 years later. Rome grew weary of Jerusalem's continued uprisings and rebellions. And so they came in and put a siege over the city and then eventually demolished the city in 70 AD, including the temple, which to this day has not been rebuilt. Why did this happen? Was this God's judgment upon Jerusalem for Jesus' death? Or did their rejection of Jesus set in motion a chain of events, decision after decision, one person after another, that led to the destruction of their city? Or maybe it was both. Maybe it was God's judgment and the natural consequences of their own decisions. You know, so often in the Bible, you'll find it, that, that God's judgment is giving us what we want. And we face the consequences of that. Jesus, Jesus knew he could see that one day Jerusalem would be destroyed. The temple would be reduced to rubble. So let's read the rest of the paragraph, starting with verse 42. And he said, If only, if you, if you even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you and your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time God's the time of God's coming to you. My friends, today let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's see him as he weeps for Jerusalem. And then we can also ask, what does Jesus see today? Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Can you see him weeping over schools where fatal shootings have occurred? including in our own Millard South High School, 2011, remember? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Can you see him weeping over people in our own city who remain homeless because rental prices have outpaced wages? And where you now, I've learned recently, you now need a higher credit rating to rent a house than to buy one. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus can you see him weeping over the continual bombing of Ukraine by a regime that lies to its peoples and jails its journalists? Let's, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Can you see him weeping over people so desperate to leave the violence of their Central American country that they take desperate and sometimes deadly measures in an attempt 
to start a new life. You know, not as many people believe in God these days. And one reason it may be hard to believe in God is because of all the suffering we see in the world. Of course, that's always been here. But the injustice and the violence. How could a good God let this happen? And so for some, it's just easier to say, I I don't believe in God at all. And I say, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where we see who God is. Now, there will be a day of judgment when evil will be vanquished and put away and Jesus will make all things new. But for now, we look to the weeping Jesus and we see the heart of God. Sometimes another reason people have trouble believing in God is because of those of us who do believe in him and we fall so short of the ideals that we live up to. And they think, well, how can Christians be right when they act so wrong? And as a result, it becomes easier just to not believe in God at all. And I say, oh, don't look to me. Fix your eyes on him. That's where we see who God is. One day Jesus will return and that's when we, his people, will be scrubbed clean of all our hypocrisy. That's when our wills will be finally and fully brought in line with God's will. But for now, for now we look to the weeping Jesus and we see the heart of God. Another reason people may have trouble believing in in God is because maybe their prayers were not answered. You know, you, you, I, maybe their loved one died uh, way too young, and, and they say, if God is real, why did, not, why did he not answer my prayer? And so, after a while, some just say, well, then I'm just not going to believe in God at all. And I say, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's where we see who God really is. The only other time that Jesus wept in the Bible was after the death of his friend Lazarus. And uh, while he was uh, meeting with with, uh, Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, and then we find the shortest verse in the Bible, John 11, 35, it says, Jesus wept. It's a great memory verse if you're a kid, right? Jesus wept. And yet it says something profound about the heart of God. Also in John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me even will live even though they die. And then he turned around and backed up that claim by raising Lazarus from the dead. They moved away the stone, and he said, Lazarus, come out. There will be a day when all the dead are raised some to eternal life, some to eternal death. But for now, we see the weeping Jesus, and there we see the heart of God. You know, you can find a lot of churches where everything is always upbeat, everybody acts so happy, even when that's not the way they really feel. We all like to be happy. Nothing wrong with that. 
But, but one thing I love about Jesus' people, the church, is that we're a community where it's okay to weep. We're, we're, we're a people where it's okay to mourn. It's a community where we mourn with those who mourn. And Jesus blesses us with this promise. It's Luke 6.21. He says, Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. He's saying the day is coming when your tears will be replaced with laughter. When your sorrow will give way to joy. When death will be vanquished by resurrection. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have shown us the Father's heart. You have shown us that we are loved very, very much. And Jesus, you have wept for us, and you have wept with us. And so now we fix our eyes on you. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Our faith begins with you and it ends with you. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you will give us hearts that weep with your heart. Give us hearts that weep over the things that make you weep. And now let's join in uh, this prayer we've been praying throughout Lent, John Wesley's Methodist Covenant Prayer. Let's pray. I am no longer my own but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be confirmed in heaven. Amen.